Good morning, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Vietnam Innovators. I'm your host, Hao, as usual. Uh, thank you for tuning in every single week and supporting the show. Uh, today's guest is coming from Hanoi, although she's from Korea originally. Uh, she is the chief of mission for IOM. Mm -hmm. uh, she lives in Hanoi, leading the team about all things migration and supporting uh, labor in Vietnam and making sure that people get what they deserve mm -hmm. and, and people know what uh, trends are and uh, more about the industry industries involved as well. Mia Park. Mia, welcome to Ho Chi Minh City. Thank you very much and thanks for inviting me. It's an honor. Thank you for being here. We'd love to just have a quick introduction from yourself and what is IOM Vietnam as well and, and what do you guys do? So my name is Mi Hyung Park, but you could call me Mia. It's much easier. So I'm the chief of mission for IOM in Vietnam. So IOM stands for International Organization for Migration. So we are the UN's migration agency. Mm. We started in 1951, and we work with governments and intergovernmental and non-governmental, as well as private sector, academia, and media, and of course, migrants themselves, to promote safe, humane, and orderly migration. Hmm. In Vietnam, we started our operation in 1987, officially opened our office in 1991. So our head office in Hanoi, but we also have a big presence in Ho Chi Minh as well. So we work very closely with our government counterparts in migration management, including areas of labor migration and human development, counter trafficking and smuggling, immigration and border management, migrant health, but also looking at impact of climate change and migration. Mm -hmm. So if you think about human mobility, we're working with the governance and other partners in this area. Okay. Yeah, it's um, it's a huge country. People forget it's a small on the map, but it's 100 million people. It's one of the it's largest populations in Asia, but also the world, top 20, top 30, most definitely. And a lot of people are moving. Mm -hmm. In fact, my family is, is one of those mm -hmm. uh, cases, I guess you could say, from the 70s in this mm -hmm. case. But um, even today, there's people moving between borders of Vietnam, uh, but not just land borders uh, over water and how people move for work and that kind of thing. Lots of fascinating uh, insights we can learn from today. Um, thank you, Mia. Let's just start with the, the basics. What are those mobility trends that you guys are reviewing every single day? Uh, what do you see in the larger scope of Asia, but more specifically Vietnam as well? So for Asia, Asia is a big continent. So of all the international migrants globally, about one third of international migrants are for Asia. Mm. And majority, a good number of people move for economic opportunities. So there is, you know, there is various factors why people migrate. But for Asia, majority is for economic, better economic opportunities. And what we're seeing is migration is becoming even more important. So a lot of these countries depend on migrants and also migrants who send out to other countries and uh, the monies that they send back. So remittances. Mm -hmm. So a lot of countries are very dependent on remittances. And Vietnam also has a very big number of overseas Vietnamese who are sending back money. Mm -hmm. So those are very important figure. And also for Asia, we're seeing more inter-regional migration. So Asians moving within the Asia region. So that's what we're seeing. And there are a number of key factors that we are kind of forecasting and watching out. 
So one is the demographic change. I'm sure you've heard that in some of these, well, actually many of these destination countries, we so-called, so country like where I'm from, mm -hmm. Korea and Japan, and even now China, they're seeing a very serious aging population. So my country in Korea, the fertility rate is 0.87. 0.87, so that's below the replacement rate too. Far below Far replacement below. Okay. rate. So replacement rate is 2.1. Mm. 0.87, I believe, is the lowest in the world. Wow. So that means that we need working population, mm. young population who need to come and work. So... Country like Korea and Japan and others will be looking for more workers to come to their countries and support the labor market. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be a more opening of diverse uh, population to come and work. So that's the one thing. Second is what we see is the digital transformation and automation. So we are seeing also with COVID, we see that there is a more rapid automation that's happening. And that we see that it's going to impact the labor migration market, not in the next decade, because the, the type of work that we need for especially the low skill, it's going to continue. However, we're looking at the future, there's going to be different types of skills that labor migration will require. So that means we need to look at skills development, upskilling and reskilling for a lot of workers, and especially for young people let's say for Vietnam, who would like to go overseas to work, mm. then they really need to think about what type of skills they would need to acquire mm. for them to have a better future. Let's talk about that. I mean, I know, for instance, Vietnamese are moving for a lot of different reasons. Education is Education, definitely one at the yes. younger ages. Uh, work as well in terms of um, places like Korea and Japan, for instance, where you just mentioned that the birth rate's very low now and it's only getting older. Who are gonna take the jobs that require young and, and energy and, and youth? Um, and a lot of that answer perhaps is coming from Vietnam. Mm -hmm. My question to you is, will supply chains in Asia continue to rely on places like Vietnam to supply that labor? And if so, what are the implications that maybe businesses and population should know if that is the case? So Vietnam is going to be an important source in countries for mm. a while. But mm -hmm. we also need to remember that Vietnam is also aging. Mm. So Vietnam will probably make a turn at some point to prioritize the labor market for domestic. Okay. Yes. So that would be something we need to watch. However, in the foreseeable future, in the next decade, mm. there's going to be a continued mm outsourcing of labor migrants to yep. these countries. Mm -hmm. And what would be interesting is that because Vietnamese labor migrants will be very wanted. Mm. So, because a lot of these destination countries will want to hire and look for qualified and quality labor migration mm -hmm. people. Mm. So Vietnam and people are going to compete to secure good labor migrants. Mm. And so that's something that, you know, we need to also think about. So for the destination countries, there's going to be a more favorable condition. Mm. And that's what we would really like to see, that there would be that change. For Vietnamese, it's important to also think about the future mm. and then the different types of skills mm. that would require. Gotcha. And even, you know, this is more a side comment too. In Vietnam, we look at all these companies moving 
uh, for various reasons mm -hmm. to Vietnam. And a lot of them are the higher value-added manufacturing requiring skilled labor. You mentioned people have to reskill and all that. And I think the economic condition at the moment is that a lot of the lower skilled manufacturing mm -hmm. jobs are being lost mm -hmm. uh, for various reasons. Mm -hmm. uh, people say it's a recession, whatever it might yes. be. Um, but it's not like that labor can instantly go to the high-skilled market. They have to relearn. How, how long does that process take? And, and from your team's understanding of the labor market, is it? Are we talking years? Are we talking lots of money? Probably both. We'd love to hear your insight on that. And the thing is, this is not just Vietnam problem. Mm. It's actually a global problem. So even okay. if you look at U.S. or other countries, mm. you know, everybody needs to make that shift. Mm. But another thing that we're realizing is that it's very difficult to teach adults to acquire another type of skill mm. that they can actually make, you know, make money out of. So it's it's a, it's actually a very difficult process. And who's going to pay for that? Right? Exactly. That's Usually another thing. Usually private companies. Private might companies, provide. but the governments also need to mm. really, really invest okay. in, in those skills development. Mm. What I would encourage is for the young people who are looking in their future mm. to think about these things. Mm. So when they're deciding what would be their next step, do think about these future type mm. of work. Mm. Although it's very difficult to predict because mm. we do live in a very uncertain world. And, you know, for me, I found out of chat GPT only a few months ago. I'm sorry. <laughs> and then when I found out, I was like, am I going to be out of my job? Mm. Because there are so many things that they could do mm -hmm. even better. Yeah, yeah. So I'm a little concerned. And so I don't really know. It's very difficult to predict. Mm -hmm. um, but there are certain types of skills that, you know, it could only be done by human. For and, sure. and, and that's another thing. Yeah, people and just, are, just to continue please. with the aging population is that another really key sector is uh, domestic work, but also taking care of the elderly. Mm. And that is best really done by human. Mm. So that's going to be a very growing demand in this region as well. I agree. I think you mentioned, you know, people talk about automation impacting like blue collar work, mm -hmm. but white collar work is being disrupted by exactly. AI. Mm -hmm. And so what job is like, um, or career path is uh, defensible, I guess mm -hmm. you could say, None of them, but the ones that might be like medical care, for instance, um, construction. I think there are certain things just yes. cannot be automated yet or for a very long time. So uh, we're not saying to get into those professions necessarily. I think no. that's good to consider. But um, one of the things that we think is very important is soft skills. Mm. Um, so, you know, we're working with, with Melissa and DVAD on mm -hmm. vocational training and, and we're trying to have, uh, you know, increased access for mobile population mm -hmm. also to mm -hmm. have access to different types of skills. Mm -hmm. And one thing we really wanted to emphasize was soft skills because soft skills help with any type of work. Mm -hmm. And also for migrants, soft skills are very important for you to make critical decisions. Mm -hmm. And to be able to, you know, negotiate with your employers or with your recruitment agencies mm -hmm. and others. So we really try to focus on soft skills, critical thinking skills, mm -hmm. you know, problem solving skills, negotiation skills. Those would be essential for any type of work. Okay, very good. Mm -hmm. 
this actually transitions very well into our second part of the topic that we want to discuss today, which is migrant worker vulnerabilities. I think we see on the media, on, on YouTube all the time about how um, when Vietnamese, for instance, go abroad, they don't know what to expect. Mm. Um, and it's sometimes not in their total control either. Either mm-hmm. they're misled or mm-hmm. um, when they arrive, expectations aren't met. Um, you probably know the specifics more than I do. Um, but let's talk about corporate roles and responsibilities. I think it's both sides, right? Uh, sometimes exploitation goes a little bit, you know, it's it's mm-hmm. literally what it is, exploitation. Um, could you provide the key risks that are still prevalent to migrant workers today, especially for Vietnamese considering to go abroad, what's happening? So when we're talking about vulnerabilities for migrant workers, let's look at the whole cycle mm-hmm. of migration. So, you know, before departure, you've in, in when you're migrating and you arrive in the destination countries and then you return. So we're looking at the whole cycle. So a lot of times problem starts from before departure. You know, we have a saying that you have to get your first button right, otherwise it all goes wrong. So before departure, you're looking for a job and that's the recruitment phase. What we're seeing is the foremost is excessive recruitment fee. Mm. So when we say recruitment fee, it's you know transportation costs, visa costs, tra- um, passport costs, a training cost. So they're actually very legitimate costs. But the issue is that a lot of times it's excessive, inflated, but more importantly, that they are charged to the workers. Mm. So let's say for me, you know, I'm actually a migrant worker because I'm from Korea. I work in Vietnam. IUM is the employer. If IOM asked me to cover for any of the costs that's related to for my recruitment, mm. I would say absolutely no. Mm-hmm. Because you're hiring me, you should pay for mm-hmm. any cost that's related for me to be able to work for you. Mm-hmm. And that's very common for white, you know, so-called white-collar job. Mm. But for a lot of low-skill migration, they think that it's okay to charge to the workers. Mm-hmm. They think that it's okay for workers to pay those fee, mm-hmm. but it is not. Mm. The principle is that employer needs to pay for migration fee. So why does that exist? Like, why, why do workers think that it's just given to them so they assume that's the standard or is it it's a, a negotiation? It's, it's a supply it... and demand issue okay. because yeah. you know there are a lot of people who are looking for these jobs, mm. whereas the actual opportunity is more limited. Mm. That's That's been the cases so and also there's the you know the supply chain issue with the 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 lower you go there's a less monitoring Mm -hmm. and required uh relevant laws and some countries uh allow to charge migrant workers Mm -hmm. so that's another issue so it really needs a whole shift so Mm -hmm. that's one thing Mm -hmm. is that because you have to actually pay a lot of money Mm -hmm. that you are oftentimes in debt bondage which kind of, you know, restrict you from making free choices. Mm. Second is with the contracts. You know, we've seen cases where there are multiple contracts, even three different contracts, and in a language that oftentimes they don't understand. So they don't really know the working condition. And there are cases they don't even know how much their salary is. So when they go, they're uninformed, confused. So that's not a good way to start. And then when they're in destination countries, 
oftentimes, you know, it's it's. I mean, you lived. I think you lived in U.S. It's for a migrant to live in any country. There's a lot of challenges. Mm-hmm. So for migrant workers who often don't speak the language, it's very hard for them. They don't understand the the social service, the mm-hmm. healthcare access, how it works. It's very difficult. And also a lot of times their employment is tied to their visa, so that it's difficult for them to look for other opportunities. So movement of changing jobs once you arrive in the destination country is very difficult. And then when they return, you know, you may have acquired certain skills, but oftentimes it's not recognized in your home country or when you try to go overseas to another. Mm. So there is also a skills recognition issue. So there is a lot of these factors that make migrant workers more vulnerable. In summary, I think migrant workers who are very vulnerable, they're either not getting the right content information, they're not educated about the process. Um, What can they do about this whole situation? Which also goes into my next question. What can businesses do? For migrant workers, we always say, that's why we say critical thinking is very important. Mm. You need to actually check. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times there are false information and false advertisements and, um, you know, very excessive demands from recruitment agencies. And they should be able to, however, it's a lot easier said than done Mm -hmm. because oftentimes people are so desperate, like Mm -hmm. they want to get those jobs. So they're willing to pay for them because once they do, the wage oftentimes is a lot higher Mm -hmm. than here. Mm -hmm. So even if it costs a lot of money, they're thinking, and which is very actually strategic thinking, is that stay, stay long enough that they actually make a lot more money. However... It's important to check facts because you don't want to go into a false uh, advertisement, false information. You need to really check. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, IOM provides our websites and our information provides legitimate regular pathway information. So you need to check those. You need to check the embassies of these destination countries. Also, Molisa, Dolab, Mm -hmm. they also have information about these regular pathways. I think, you know, as someone... I consider myself educated, I guess you could say. Um, that all sounds very natural to me, very common sense, you could say. But for the average person who is a migrant worker, they don't even know IOM exists, mm-hmm. for instance, potentially. Yes, uh, they, they can't tell the difference between a scam and a real, because there are legitimate uh, migration services. I'm, I'm positive of that. Yes, um, yes. I couldn't name one, but I'm sure there is one. Mm-hmm. I'm not the target market. So my question for you is, how, how can IOM, in a way, kind of communicate more to the masses to be more approachable? If, if, if Have you guys done that? And if so, maybe you can share us some snapshots about how that's done. So we're doing offline and online campaigns mm-hmm. and awareness raising work. So in the hotspot areas where a lot of uh, international migration happens, especially in the central region, mm-hmm. we do offline, you know, in-person events. Mm-hmm. We work with many different partners, including Women's Union and Dolab, Melissa Dolab, uh, to promote safe migration messaging. Mm-hmm. So there's offline and online. We're really doing our best, but so I guess this. You know, your your YouTube and podcast mm-hmm. would 
hopefully uh, helpful for us to share this information mm. that online we have our uh, Facebook and our SNS and other Facebook. Uh, we have this um, Facebook called uh, Think Before You Go. Mm. So that platform provides information about different regular pathways. Let's say I'm a business that needs migrant workers. Sometimes mm -hmm. I don't know where to start. So I'll work with agencies that yes. do it for me. So my, my question is, what are the risks for businesses to know when engaging this kind of work? Because they might have the, their values and principles and ways of working that are um, legitimate, but then they also have to consider who they work with, right? The agencies who are on the ground to make all of this happen. For all they know, they're just mm -hmm. getting an employee, mm -hmm. right? They don't know what's being discussed and potentially. What are those risks for businesses if they get into the wrong uh, areas? Is You mentioned it's a crime. You mentioned there's a lot of legality and issues after. Maybe you can paint so that. So for there's, there's that legal consequences mm. for uh, countries that have these legislations. So if you want to import your goods to these these mm. countries, then you're actually banned. Oh. So there is that mm -hmm. practical consequences. But of course, there is reputational risk. Mm -hmm. And now these days, especially young people are very conscious consumers. Mm -hmm. They search, you know, the goods that they consume. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they become quite aware. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to be uh, you don't want to have any news on, you know, The Guardian or CNN about, you know, mm -hmm. issues that's happening in your supply chain. So that's there's a reputational risk. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, it's really the right thing to do because, mm -hmm. you know, it, you want to have a competent workers who understand their conditions for not in debt because just to come work for you. It's, it supports with your sustainability, productivity, and improves your credibility as an employer. Mm -hmm. So it's really at the end of the day, it's the right thing to do. Let's talk about what people can do to engage in uh, better ways of working, um, the right being, you know, doing the right way for migrant workers, very sensitive topic, of course. Um, and, and I want to focus on what IOM does. Mm -hmm. So United Nations Agency, global, multinational, you've been in Vietnam for sounds like quite a while, 40 yes. something years. What initiatives is IOM doing right now? Aside from these offline events you mentioned mm -hmm. and social media and whatnot. So, um, you know, IOM covers a wide range of work related to human mobility. But just to talk about labor migration and human development side, um, we work closely with governments as well as private sector and, you know, industry associations and trade unions and migrant workers themselves. Mm -hmm. First thing is that we want to make sure that there is an enabling environment, meaning there is an open, flexible, evidence-based policy for labor migration. And that encourages business, often forces business to come up with their good policy as well. So IOM through our, we, our regional program mm -hmm. called the CREST program. Mm -hmm. So CREST stands for Corporate Responsibility in Eliminating Modern Day Slavery and Trafficking. So through this initiative, we work with businesses, brands and employers to make sure that they have a good relevant policy about migrant workers. Mm -hmm. So migrant workers guideline or migrant workers policy. So we help with them. And also we help them, we help with them to do human rights due diligence uh, process. 
mapping. So in their supply chains, to make sure that their supply chain, if there are any issues, to identify if there is any risk. And then if there are, then we come up with a solution mm. together. But it really depends on the, the gaps and needs of the businesses. So we have an open resource where we have these uh, different guidelines that that's available. But also when we work with uh, businesses directly, we look at the needs and then we provide a tailored assistance mm -hmm. to these companies. And we've been seeing a very positive outcomes. As I mentioned briefly, there are companies that are reimbursing mm -hmm. migration costs, recruitment costs, so that's very promising, but also elimination of forced overtime mm -hmm. or improving living conditions and working conditions. So that's a very promising uh, outcome that we're seeing. Are, are these case studies or outcomes shared anywhere online that the average company or person can, can see? Yes. Uh, so we have a website, the Crest website, where we uh, introduce some of these uh, best practices. Mm. Some companies do not like to share. Of course. Yeah. So those are not. But for companies that have agreed to share, then you would be able to mm. see them. And some of these companies in their own report, they would actually report about mm. their work with IOM. Amazing. I'm very curious what those are. So mm. I'll, I'll take a look later as well, which kind of leads me to my second point. You, you kind of partially answered it already, but walk us through how a business can collaborate with IOM. Like let's say I'm a garment manufacturer or someone making phones or whatever it might be. Walk me through those steps about how there's the evaluation mm -hmm. process, understanding what the objectives are. Um, if you could walk through that quick. So first step is to approach. know IOM. So that's a very okay. important <laughs> step is that they need to know that we exist and yes. that we provide okay. these, these uh, assistance. Mm. Oftentimes what we see is, you know, we work with major brands as well as small companies mm -hmm. as well. Mm. And even major brands, a lot of times they don't, because for some of them, it's a new area. Mm -hmm. Now it's a lot more known, but yeah. we've been working on this for the last you know, six, seven years. Mm -hmm. So when we first started, it was a relatively new area for many people. Mm -hmm. So what we try to do is you know, we try to first give them understanding about what ethical recruitment is, uh, what a good employment practice is, so for them to understand what that is. And then also, then they can see what are the gaps. Um, so it takes for them to understand what their needs are, and then for us to work together to come up with a solution. So in our website, we have an open source resource uh, um, about basic migrant, uh, migrant worker guidelines and other types of supply chain mapping guidelines. So those, the business can look and learn start learning and we also provide training and workshop and through that we can identify the next step forward and it really depends where the company stands and uh, the complexity of their supply chain but it really it's really helpful for them to have a proper policy and make sure, making sure that it's implemented well and they need to understand their supply chain well that's not an easy part but once they do that and once they identify the risk and problems, and then we can come up with a solution together. But what's most important is that businesses understand and acknowledge and accept that it's their responsibility. Mm -hmm. So not just their direct employees, but employees and all the workers that work in their supply chain. 
Um, I'm going to play the kind of business hat a little bit, I guess you could say. Um, what are the business outcomes in a, in a um, ROI perspective for them to invest and think about this stuff, either proactively or as mm-hmm. a, uh, a fix to a problem they've had in the past? Like why, from a business perspective, is this smart for mm-hmm. them? So in before, we've been seeing companies who have many issues. Mm-hmm. So... Whose uh, whose issues might be on media, and mm. they they see that it's affecting their actual performance, performance and sales because mm. consumers, as I said, is became becoming very conscious, but also investors as well. They mm. you know there are a lot of investors who want to invest in good business, so mm. that's something. But increasingly, we're seeing companies who want to prevent it mm. and mitigate it. Mm-hmm. So then. As I said, there's legal consequences in terms of where they can actually trade and import, uh, but actual real consequences because, you know, let's say if there's an investigation or inspection, then it disrupts your supply chain mm-hmm. and it affects your actual performance. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of these practical consequences that would affect your performance. Mm-hmm. So it's not just it's a right thing to do and it's a moral thing to do, but it's actually a practical solution. Very good, very good. And just a last note, I, I, I just realized I haven't asked this question. Of course, migration, people think across borders and all that. But there's also migration within the yes. country. So let's not forget that. Yes. Um, could you touch upon the importance or focus of those two different types of migration in the context of your work here in Vietnam? Yes, thank you for bringing that up because internal migration is very important. Mm. And for, it really depends on the countries, but you know, oftentimes, even if you're moving within country, you're moving out of your comfort zone Mm. and your home where you have your safety network and you're going to a new place. You know, what, what we saw during COVID-19, especially in Ho Chi Minh, there were a lot of migrant workers who were mm-hmm. stuck here mm-hmm. without, without any oh. income for months. Mm-hmm. And then once the gate opened, mm-hmm. there were influx of people who were mass migrating mm-hmm. back to their provinces. Mm-hmm. And even afterwards, a lot of them did not want to return mm-hmm. because it was kind of like a trauma. Mm-hmm. So it's... It, really highlighted the importance of and the significance of internal migration issue Mm -hmm. for a country like Vietnam, but Mm -hmm. also in other countries Mm -hmm. as well. And some of the risks that we see for overseas migrant workers, we see similar ones for internal ones as well. Mm -hmm. And what's very important for internal migration is the climate change. So we're seeing, as you know, Mm -hmm. globally, but for Vietnam, climate change is a very serious issue Mm -hmm. and increasingly going to be a very serious issue. Mm -hmm. There's going to be a relocation of people or or people who have to leave their own livelihood because it's no longer viable Mm -hmm. and they'll need to look for other type of opportunities. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes we see from rural to urban and then from urban, you know, in the beginning, they'll do a seasonal type mm-hmm. of uh, migration mm-hmm. and then more permanent to urban. And then oftentimes it leads to overseas migration. Mm-hmm. So internal migration is not only important and we need to pay attention to just because of the size of it and that, but also it leads to more risky overseas migration mm-hmm. as well. Okay. Very fascinating stuff. Um, we're closing up on the last couple of questions mm-hmm. here. 
uh, Mia. So uh, thank you again for sharing all these great insights. What would be uh, the priorities? So I ask in the context of businesses that are planning for the future, they're thinking about automation, they're thinking about mm-hmm. AI, their workforces and labor. Uh, what would be your recommendation for the top, let's say, three priorities for businesses looking ahead in the context of what we discussed today and anything else should, they should be aware of and how to be positioned for mm-hmm. the best success possible? So for businesses, not only for future, you know, I cannot repeat this enough, but, and we're seeing encouraging changes, but it's still really not enough that there is a saying in, in my country, I think it's from some book that, you know, we, we ask for labor, then people came. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about especially migrant workers, we tend to dehumanize and we see them as labor, mm-hmm. labor force. But these are all individual. These are all people with families. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they have the same rights as any of us. And it's very important that we make that in mind. You should treat other people as you want to be treated. Mm-hmm. And that's a very basic principle. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, we don't really see that with a lot of low-skill migration mm-hmm. corridors and in the industry. So for most human rights due diligence is a must. Mm. We want to really encourage business to take on ethical recruitment, employment practices. So that's the first and foremost important aspect. Mm -hmm. Second is that we're seeing a lot of crisis happening. So not only, you know, the climate change crisis that we're seeing, you know, slow onset as well as sudden disasters that we see, but, you know, things like health emergencies like COVID-19, you know, something similar will happen again. Mm-hmm. And it affects businesses, their own operation, but it really affects migrant workers. And we've seen through COVID that migrant workers were one of the most impacted mm-hmm. uh, group mm-hmm. for this pandemic. So mm-hmm. we need to prepare, the businesses need to prepare for another crisis like that. So it's very, we want to make sure that we learn from these lessons, COVID-19 and and different climate change impact, and then make more, you know, foresightful, future-looking plans and preparation plan. Third, I would say is businesses are very important stakeholder and they have a strong voice, meaning we need to all work together to with the governments to have more open, flexible, evidence-based, rights-based migration policies in the countries. So not only Vietnam, but most importantly in the destination countries. Because only when the destination countries and the countries have proper policy, migration policy, and unfortunately migration policies are very much affected by public opinion. And public opinion for migrants are not always very positive. Mm. So we want to make sure that there is, we recognize the positive contribution that migrant workers make. And businesses know this the better, mm. the most, mm-hmm. the best. They know that migrant workers are essential for their own businesses. So they also need to do their part to advocate for a good migration governance in these countries. So businesses have a very important role, and IOM provides support in all these areas, and we're very committed to working with businesses in this area. Amazing. 
Thank you so much, Mia, for sharing today's insights. Um, I don't know about you, but listeners of the podcast today, I, I don't know a lot about this. I think um, labor forces, migration, you know, people are talking about the workforce, especially a lot in Vietnam um, when it comes to boardroom meetings, uh, business intelligence, talking about trends of um, where people are going and what they're working on. And I think the whole discussion of the human element has not been discussed. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned before treating people as just labor, not as people. Uh, we tend to forget that. But we also need to realize that uh, people don't know what they don't know. Mm -hmm. And I think at the end of the day, not everyone is as highly educated mm -hmm. as UN workers, mm -hmm. right? I think we have a certain idea mm -hmm. about how um, what's missing, uh, what what can and need to be done. Uh, but at the end of the day, the people we're serving also just don't know. And so um, a lot of content, a lot of information needs to be shared um, so we all know better businesses and also um, people in migration as well. Mia, thank you so much for your insights. I really enjoyed today's podcast and, and learned something as well. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, it's been a pleasure and um, best of luck to the IOM Vietnam team. You have huge journey ahead. The, the, the journey never stops. Mm -hmm. So uh, best of luck to you and the team. Thank you. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of Vietnam Innovators. I hope you appreciated that. Um, if you're looking for more information about IOM, uh, we'll include it in the comments and description. You can check it out yourself uh, at another time. Thank you so much and see you next week. Bye-bye. You can also check out the video version of this podcast on our other platforms such as YouTube and Facebook. New episodes are out every week. So don't forget to subscribe to Vietcetra's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube channel for more interesting content.